0: Petri Wine brings you Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce in the new adventures of Sherlock Holmes. The Petri family, the family that took time to bring you good wine, invites you to listen to Dr. Watson tell another exciting adventure he shared with his old friend at Master Detective Sherlock Holmes. Before he starts, I can tell you something it's really worth knowing. Simply this. The best beginning a good meal ever had is a glass of Petri California Sherry. Petri Sherry is the perfect before-dinner wine. While you're waiting for dinner to be put on the table, pour yourself a glass of that clear, amber-colored Petri Sherry. Now just sit back and sip it slowly. Take your time so you can thoroughly enjoy every single drop of that wonderful Petri flavor. And what a flavor that Sherry has. It comes right from the sun-ripened heart of wonderful California grapes. You may be a real wine expert and know all about Sherry wine, but believe me, until you've tried a Petri Sherry, you're really missing something. Serve Petri Sherry alone or serve it with canapes or appetizers. And by all means, serve it proudly. You can because the letters P-E-T-R-I spell the proudest name in the history of American wines. Petri. Let's visit our good friend and host, Dr. Watson. Good evening, Doctor.
1: Good evening, Mr. Bartell. Draw up your usual chair and make yourself at home.
0: Uh, how about a glass of sherry? That'd be very nice. Uh, all ready for tonight's story, Doctor? Yes, my boy. Uh, here you Here's your chair. Thank you, sir.
1: My story begins on a June night in 1889. My wife and I had spent a quiet evening at home, I remember... It was just about the hour that a man gives his first yawn and glances at the clock when the tranquility of the scene was broken by the discordant jangling of our front doorbell.
0: An emergency call for you, I suppose, Doctor?
1: Not exactly, Mr. Bartell. It turned out to be a certain Mrs. Issa Whitney, an old friend of my wife's who'd come to us in trouble. Her husband, she told us, had been missing for 48 hours and, knowing him to be the victim of the shocking habit of taking opium, She was convinced that he was lying drugged and stupefied in some foul den amid
0: the London waterfronts. And I suppose you went out to try to find him?
1: Yes, Mr. Bartell, I did. She told me that her husband had mentioned frequenting a place called the Bar of Gold in Upper Swandham Lane. So naturally, that's where I began my search. I quickly located it, and after ordering my cab to wait, I entered the place. A strange sight met my eyes. Through the smoke-ridden gloom, I could catch a glimpse of bodies lying in strange, fantastic poses as they smoked the pipes of death. Most of the unhappy creatures lay silently, but some muttered to themselves and others talked together in strange, low, monotonous voices, their conversation coming in gushes and then trailing off into silence, each mumbling his own thoughts and paying little attention or heed to the words of his neighbour. As I entered, an attendant hurried up to me with an opium pipe and a supply of the drug and beckoned me to an empty berth. Master may lie here. I haven't come to stay here, my good man. I'm looking for a friend, Mr. Isa Whitney.
2: No one by
1: that name here, Master? Well, I'm going to search this place just the same. Please not to make trouble, Master. Watson. Is that you, Watson? Whitney. Thank heavens I've found you, man. Uh, What time is it? It's nearly 11. Of what day? What day? Friday, June the 19th. Good Lord, I thought it was Wednesday. It is Wednesday. You're trying to confuse me. I tell you, it's Friday. Your wife has been waiting
3: two days for you. You're mixed up in your days, Watson. I've only been here a few hours.
4: Three pipes, four pipes.
3: I forget
1: how many. I'll go home with you. Here. I'll, I'll give you a hand. That's it. I have a cab waiting. I must earn some money. Will you settle up for yes, me, Watson? Yes, of course. Here, wait here for me. Stop. Stop pulling at my sleeve, my good fellow. Who are you and uh, uh, what do you
2: want?
4: A word in your ear, please. Sir. Oh, very
1: well. What, what is
4: it? Get rid of your friend and join me outside. Holmes? What on earth are you doing Jeez. here, understand? Your cab waiting? Yes. Then please use it to send your befuddled friend home in. And if you feel up to it, I should also recommend that you send a note for the cabman telling your wife that you have thrown in your lot with me. I'd be exceedingly glad to have a little talk with you. Yes, of course, Holmes. Spend it, then. Conclude your business here, old chap. I'll meet you outside in about ten minutes.
0: Mm.
1: Well, Ruth, is Fizzy, it's, it's nearly...
4: Is that you, Holmes? Yes, Watson, it's me. Your disguise is wonderful. I've never recognized you if you haven't spoken to me just now. Disposed of your friend? Yes, yes, good. Splendid, let's start walking. I have a horse and trap waiting for me in the next street. What on earth were you doing in the bar of gold, Holmes? Trying to get news of a missing man? You, Simon. I'm in the midst of a very remarkable inquiry, and I'd hope to get a clue from the incoherent ramblings of those poor devils back there. Ah, there's the horse and trap under the street lamp on the corner. You'll come with me, Watson. Yes, of course, if I can be of any, any use. A trusty comrade is always of use. My room at the Cedars has two beds in it. The Cedars? Yes, that's Mr. Neville St. Clair's house and our present destination. It's near Lee in Kent, about seven miles from here. I'm using it as a headquarters while I conduct my inquiries. Evening, Mr. Holmes. Everything all right? Yes, thank you, John. I... Get in, Watson. John. I shan't need you any more tonight, John. Here's half a crown for you. Look out for me tomorrow, about 11. My out, Mr. Holmes. Good night, gentlemen. Good night, John. Go on, get up.
1: Well, Holmes, if we have a seven-mile
4: drive ahead of us, perhaps you'll tell me about the case that you're working on. With pleasure, old chap. But first, take the range for a few minutes, will you? I uh, want to remove my makeup and take off my wig and be comfortable. After that, I'll tell you why we are headed to the Kentish countryside at this hour of the night. <laughs> have a grand gift of silence. It makes you invaluable as a companion. We've driven four miles and you haven't uttered a word.
1: <laughs> it wasn't easy, Holmes. I've been dying to question you, but I could see that you were preoccupied. Then
4: I shall reward you with a clear and concise statement of my problem. Mr. Neville St. Clair, aged 37, the father of two children and an affectionate husband, is missing... He left his house the Cedars near Lee, our present destination, last Monday. Four days ago, eh? Huh? Yes. Now, why should an affectionate husband and a happy father disappear? Any any money trouble? No, oh, I think not. His entire debts uh, at the moment amount to £88, pounds, while he has £220 pounds standing to his credit at the capital and Counties bank.
1: Who was the last person to
4: see him on Monday? His wife. But let me tell you the story. He left his house for London rather earlier than usual. He was a businessman then? Uh, yes, he has an interest in several companies in London. Uh, but his wife doesn't know exactly what he does. But to continue, he left for London saying that he would bring his little boy home a box of toy bricks. Now, by the merest chance, his wife received a telegram shortly after his departure, saying that a parcel of considerable value was waiting for her at the offices of the Aberdeen Shipping Company. Aberdeen Shipping Company, why, their offices are in Fresno Street. I drove by them tonight. Exactly, in Fresno Street, branches out of Upper Swandham Lane, where the Bar of Gold is situated. Ah, oh, now I'm beginning to understand. Go on, Holmes, go on. Uh, Mrs. Sinclair took a train for london and at exactly 4:35 on monday last found herself walking past the bar of gold suddenly she heard a cry and looking up was horrified to see her husband beckoning to her from a second story window oh, scut, was he a prisoner or was he there of his own free will do you suppose undoubtedly he was a prisoner the window was open and she distinctly saw his face which he described as being terribly agitated. Really? Oh, really? He waved oh, his hand to her frantically and then vanished from the window so suddenly that it seemed to her that he had been dragged back by some irresistible force from behind. Oh, me. One singular point which struck her quick feminine eye was that although he wore the coat he had left for London in, he wore neither collar nor tie. Oh, what did she do? Rushed down the steps into the bar of gold and attempted to go up the staircase leading to the second floor. And I suppose that oriental fellow that I talked to tonight stopped her. Exactly. Exactly. In fact, he pushed her out of the door and slammed it after her. She rushed down the lane and a few moments later was lucky enough to meet a sergeant and two constables. She
1: took them back with her to the bar of gold, of course.
4: Yes. They went with her to the room in which Neville St. Clair had last been seen. Of course, there was no sign of him. In fact, on the whole floor, there was no one to be found except a hideous, deformed beggar who seemed to live there. From what Mrs. St. Clair told me, it appears that the sergeant conducted the examination quite intelligently.
3: You saw your husband at this window, Mrs. Sinclair? I'm
5: positive, Sergeant.
3: And the Lasker swears no one's been upstairs this afternoon. Well, he's probably lying. But let's see what this cripple fellow has to say for himself. Here, you. What do you want with me? I ain't done nothing. Now, you heard what this lady said. Did you see her husband go in this room a few minutes ago? I didn't see nobody, and I've been here all the afternoon. You Livia? Yes. And you swear on oath that no one's been in this room for the last few hours? Yes, I do. Mrs. Sinclair. I know that you think you saw your husband, but don't you suppose... Look,
5: look on the table.
3: Just a wooden box, ma'am.
5: But I know what's inside it. There, see?
3: Well, it's a lot of of wooden bricks like kids' paper.
5: My husband came to London today especially to buy them for our son. You can't disbelieve me now, Sergeant.
3: Don't think I can, ma'am. I'll take another look round. Where does this door lead to? My bedroom. You won't find nothing in there. Oh, we'll look just the same. Oh, there's bloodstains on this window ledge. Fresh bloodstains. How do you account for that? Well, I don't know nothing about it. And the window overlooks the river, just where the water's good and deep, too. Nice place to tip a body out here. Come here, you. Yeah, I well, ain't done nothing. You've got bloodstains on your right sleeve. What do you got to say about that? Well, uh, I cut my finger, see? Uh, and then I went and opened the window later. Uh, that's how the blood got there. Mm. Did you think I was born yesterday? Let's have a look in this chest of drawers. Hello. Hello, whose clothes are these? A pair of trousers, socks, shoes, hats, everything except the coat, eh? Uh, Mrs. Sinclair, will you come in here, please, Mum?
5: What have you found, Sergeant?
3: These clothes. Are they your husband's, Mum? Yes.
5: Yes, they are. What's happened to him, Sergeant?
3: I'm afraid he's met with foul play, Mum. And this man knows what happened, only he won't talk. I don't know nothing, I tell you. So don't you? Well, I arrest you in the name of the law, and I warn you that anything... You...
4: And, Sir Watson, the sergeant arrested this crippled beggar.
1: No, I'm not surprised. What have they been able to
4: find out about him? Surprisingly little. His name is Hugh Boone. And he's a professional beggar, quite a successful one, I gather. His pathetic appearance attracts great sympathy. There's a shock of orange hair and a pale face that is disfigured by a horrible scar which has twisted the outer edge of his upper lip. And he was the last man to see Neville Sinclair alive, eh? So it would seem. The Lasker downstairs has been cross-examined relentlessly, but he swears that he has no knowledge of the crime. Have there been any, any further deve- oh, developments? Oh, yes, old chap. Yes, huh? indeed there have. The ebbing tide gave a fresh clue. you
1: mean Sinclair's body was washed up? No, his coat.
4: What? With every pocket stuffed with pennies and halfpennies. 421 pennies and 270 halfpennies, to be exact. There's no wonder that it had not been swept away by the tide. But
1: a human body was a different matter.
4: Yes, there's a strong eddy between the house and the wall. It seems likely that the weighted coat had remained when the stripped body had been carried away into the river. Well,
1: the other clothes were found in the room. Why would the body be dressed in, in a coat alone?
4: We can only surmise, old chap, but uh, supposing that this man Boone... I thrust Neville St. Clair through the window and into the river. What would he do then?
1: Try and dispose of the telltale garments.
4: Yes, that would be logical, wouldn't it? He would seize the coat and be in the act of throwing it out of the window when it would occur to him that it would float and not sink. So he loaded the pockets with coins to make it sink? Quite so. Yes, of course. But uh, he has little time, for he has heard this couple downstairs when Mrs. St. Clair tried to force her way up. He only succeeded in getting as far as throwing the coat out when the police arrived on the scene. Well, that seems perfectly feasible. Well, it'll do as a working hypothesis anyway. Neville
1: St. Care disappeared on Monday, and yet we still don't know what, what he was doing in the opium den.
4: What happened to him when he was got there, or, or where he is now? Oh, what Hugh Boone, the beggar with the twisted lip, had to do with his disappearance. Ah, here we are at our destination. Oh, there's a light burning. Mrs. St. Clair must be waiting up for you. Yes, poor woman. I hate to return here with no news of her husband, but she's being brave, Watson, extremely brave. We must do everything we can to comfort her. <laughs>
5: Watson, I'm so grateful that you were able to come down and help your friend. Oh,
1: I only hope that I can be of
4: some help, Mrs. Sinclair.
5: I say that you have no good news for me, Mr. Holmes. I'm afraid not. No bad? No. Oh, thank heaven for that. Mr. Holmes, tell me honestly, do you think that Neville is still alive?
4: Well, I frankly, no. Frankly, then I don't.
5: You think he's murdered?
4: Oh, well, I don't say that, but perhaps
5: you say... And on what day did he meet his death? On Monday. Then perhaps, Mr. Holmes, you can explain how I received a letter from him today.
4: What? Where is the letter, madam? Here. Yes, let me see it. This is very crude writing on the envelope. Surely it's not your husband's hand. No,
5: but the writing in the letter is.
4: Ah, huh. This letter contained an enclosure.
5: Yes, there was a ring. His signet ring.
4: What does the letter say, Holmes? Dearest, do not be frightened. All will come well. There is a huge error which it may take some little time to rectify, in patience. It's signed Neville. Mm-hmm. Written in pencil on the flyleaf of a notebook. No watermark. Posted today in Gravesend by a man with a dirty thumb. Mm-hmm. And the flap has been gummed, if I'm not mistaken, by a man who has been chewing tobacco. My
5: husband must be alive, Mr. Holmes.
4: This might be a clever forgery to put us off put us off the track.
5: But the signet ring.
4: Yes, it may have been taken from him. But the handwriting and, and then the postmark. Might have been written on Monday and only posted today.
5: I won't be discouraged, so Mrs. Mr. Holmes. Saint-Clair,
4: I have no wish to discourage you. I'm just trying to be practical. If your husband is alive and able to write letters, why should he remain away from you?
5: I, I can't imagine. He made no special remarks before leaving on Monday? No, none. Except to say that he was going to buy the wooden blocks. When you
4: saw him at the Bar of Gold in Swandham Lane, was the window open? Yes. Then he might have called you. He might. As I understand it, he gave... An inarticulate cry, a call for help, you thought?
5: Yes, he waved his hands. But it might have been
4: a cry of surprise. Astonishment at the unexpected sight of you might have caused him to throw up his hands. I suppose so. And you thought that he was pulled back from the window.
5: Yes, because he disappeared so abruptly. He might have leaped back, mightn't he? He might have, though I can't think why.
4: One last question. Had your husband ever shown signs of uh, uh, taking opium? Why,
5: no, never, Mr. Holmes. I'm certain the idea would have revolted him.
4: Thank you, Mrs. Sinclair. As were the principal points, I wanted to be clear on. And now, Watson, I suggest we retire for the night. We may have a busy day ahead of us tomorrow.
5: I hope you both sleep well. Good night, Mr. Holmes, Dr. Watson. Good night, Mrs.
4: St. Clair, keep up your courage. Good night, Mrs. St. Clair. We must hope for the best. The clouds seem lighter, though I should not venture to say that danger is over. <laughs>
0: You'll hear the rest of Dr. Watson's story in just a second. So I'm just going to remind you that when you buy Petri California Sherry, you have a choice of two kinds of Sherry. You can choose Petri Regular Sherry, or if you prefer your Sherry Dry, you know, not sweet, ask for Petri Pale Dry Sherry. They're both fine wines. And if you don't know which you'd prefer, don't buy one, buy two. Buy them both and try them both. And remember this. Petri Sherry is the perfect all-round, all-occasion wine. It's good before dinner, after dinner, at cocktail time, and any time. Just be sure you get Petri. Petri Sherry. Well, Dr. Watson, you and the great Sherlock Holmes certainly deserved a good night's rest. Did you get it?
1: I did, Mr. Bartell. but Holmes made no attempt to sleep. As soon as we retired upstairs, he donned a blue silk dressing gown and then wandered about the room, collecting pillows from his bed and cushions from the sofa and the armchairs. With these, he constructed a sort of eastern divan, on which he pursed himself cross-legged with an ounce of shag tobacco and a box of matches laid out in front of him.
0: He was all set for a session of thinking, I guess.
1: Huh? Yes, my boy. In the dim light of the lamp, I saw him sitting there, an old brow pipe clenched in his teeth, his eyes fixed vacantly on a corner of the ceiling, the blue smoke curling up from him, silent, motionless. So he sat as I dropped off to sleep, and so he sat when I wakened in the morning to find the summer sun shining into the room. The pipe was still between his lips, the smoke still curled upward, and the room was full of a dense tobacco haze. But nothing remained of the heap of shag which I'd seen on the previous night.
4: Watson. Watson. Awake, Watson? Um, uh, 20 minutes uh, past four. Uh, Lord Holmes, you... You won't be to bed. old chap, I had to think. I couldn't allow my brain the luxury of sleeping. You game for a morning drive? Yeah, certainly, I'll,
1: I'll get rest.
4: Good. <coughs> no one's stirring yet, but I know where the stable boy sleeps. I'll have the horse and trap up no time at all. Uh, where are we going? To prison. To visit Hugh Boone, the man with the twisted lip. Oh, monsieur, uh, you're unusually excited. What, what's, what's on your mind? I want to test a little theory. I think, Watson, that you are now standing in the presence of one of the most absolute fools in Europe. I deserve to be kicked from here to Charing Cross, but I think I have the key to the affair now. Oh, where is it? In the bathroom. What? You're joking, Owen. No, I've uh, just <laughs> been there and removed it. It's in my coat pocket now. I and get dressed, old chap? Then we'll drive over to the prison and see whether my key fits the lock. <laughs>
3: Good morning, Mr. Holmes. Dr. Watson.
1: Good morning, officer. Good
4: Good morning.
3: morning. You're a couple of early birds, and no
4: mistake. Yes, Constable. We're searching for the proverbial worm. Who's on duty? Inspector Bradstreet, sir. Oh. Oh, here he is now. Good morning, Bradstreet. Oh, hello, Mr. Holmes. Good morning, Doctor. Uh, Good morning, Inspector. What can I do for you gentlemen? We called about Hugh Boone, the beggar man who uh, is charged with being concerned in the disappearance of Mr. Neville St. Clair. You have him here? Oh, yes, Mr. Holmes. He's in the cells. I'll take you to him. Uh, follow me, will you, gentlemen? Thank you. Well,
2: what,
1: uh, what kind of a prisoner has he been,
2: Inspector? Oh, he hasn't given us any trouble, but he's a dirty devil. It's as much as we can do to make him wash his hands.
4: His face is as black as a tinker's. So he has an aversion to washing, has he? Yeah, Yes, Mr. Holmes. Well, once his case has been settled, he'll have a regular prison bath, and when you see him, I think you'll agree with me that he needs it. And there we are. Yeah, this is his cell. He's still asleep.
1: Good Lord, what a, what a filthy a to be looking for.
4: Yes, he's a beauty, isn't he? Hmm. Uh, want to go in, Mr. Holmes? Please, Inspector. Well,
1: ah. really, he certainly needs a
4: wash. Yes, I had an idea that he might. That's why I brought the sponge along in my pocket. Oh, so
1: that was the key that you found in the bathroom.
4: Oh, you're a funny one, Mr. Holmes, and no mistake. What did you bring a sponge along for? I'll show you. Is there any water in this cell? There, in the jug on the table oh, yes, there. yes, yes, yes. I soaked the sponge in the water so, and then applied to the prisoner's face so.
1: Great uh, Scott, his complexion's three shades lighter underneath, uh,
4: and the scar on his lip has disappeared. Uh, what are you doing to me? Now, i tug on this mop of red hair, and I think we'll find it's a wig. Yes, come on. Uh, that's right. Ah, let me introduce you to Mr. Neville St. Clair. Of Lee in the county of Kent. Good Lord, Mr. Holmes, it's the
2: missing man, all right. I'll recognize him from the photographs. All right. I'm Neville Sinclair.
4: What am I charged with? With making away with Mr. say Oh, <laughs> no, you... You can't be charged with that unless we make a case of attempted suicide of it.
2: Well, since... I'm the missing man, and it's obvious that no crime has been committed, and therefore I'm illegally
4: detained. No crime, but a very great error has been committed. You would have done better to have trusted your wife. It wasn't only my wife, it was the children. I I couldn't bear to have them know that their father was a common beggar.
2: Now, you've exposed me. What can I do?
1: Well, if you leave it to uh, court of law to clear this matter up, sir, you can hardly avoid newspaper publicity, but if you're perfectly honest with us now, I'm sure that the inspector and Mr. Holmes won't
4: be too hard on you. No, Mr. St. Clair. Inspector Bradstreet will, I'm sure, make notes on the information that you give us and submit them to the proper authorities. But now, sir, your story, please. Why have you been posing as Hugh Boone, a crippled beggar with a twisted lip? Well, it's a simple enough story.
2: Some years ago, I was a newspaper reporter. One day, my editor wanted an article on begging in the London metropolis. I
1: suppose you thought the best way to get your facts was to disguise yourself as a beggar.
2: Yes, I'd, uh, I'd been an actor in my youth, and it wasn't hard for me to adopt a convincing disguise. But uh, that was the point where all my trouble started. On that first day, I sat in the London streets... I found to my amazement that I received no less than 26 shillings and four Almost
4: as much as your weekly salary as a reporter, I imagine. Yes, Mr. Holmes. Well, you can
2: imagine how hard it was to settle down to arduous work at two pounds a week when I knew that I could earn as much in a couple of days by smearing my face with paint, laying my cap on the ground and sitting still. Only one man knew my secret.
4: Alaska at the bar of Golden in upper Swandham Lane, eh? Yes, Mr. Holmes. hmm
2: Every morning, I would emerge from there dressed as a beggar. And in the evenings, I'd return and transform myself into a well-dressed man about town. The uh, fellow was well-paid for his rooms, and I knew that my secret was safe in his possession.
1: When you got married, you couldn't bring yourself to confide in your wife, I
4: suppose. No, I, I couldn't. My wife knew that I had a business in the city. She little knew what. When you saw your wife from the window last Monday, you quickly changed back into the character of the beggar, I suppose. Yes, Mr. Holmes. Of course. And then weighted my coat and
2: threw it into the river.
4: Mm-hmm. Well, I don't think there's anything else I need explain, is there, gentlemen? One point. The signet ring that you sent your wife. Well, well
2: I, I knew that she'd be worrying. So I gave it to the lascar at a moment when no constable was watching me, together with a hastily scribbled note. That note only reached her uh, last
4: night, Mr. Sinclair. Last night? Oh, poor Catherine... What a dreadful week she must have spent. Uh, the police have been watching that, Lasker. He probably found it difficult to post the letter for you without being spotted. Yes, I would surmise he gave it to a, a sailor customer of his to post. A sailor who chewed tobacco and had a dirty thumb. Hmm? Yes, I, I think all the ends are tied off very neatly now. One last question, Mr. Sinclair. Have you ever been prosecuted for begging? Oh, many times, but what was a fine to me? It's got to stop here and now, Mr. Sinclair. If the police had asked this thing up... There must be no more of you, Boone, the beggar.
2: I swear
1: it. And you must tell your wife the truth at once. If you'd done that a long time ago, you'd have saved both of yourselves a very great deal of misery. Sir.
4: I shall tell her everything. Well, Mr. Holmes, we're very much obliged to you for having cleared this matter up. <laughs> I wish I knew how you reached your results, though. Well, in this case, my dear inspector, I... Um... I reached them by sitting upon five pillows and consuming an ounce of shagged tobacco. I only wish that uh, all my problems might be solved so comfortably. <laughs> well, Doctor,
0: that was some story. <laughs> Imagine arresting a man for committing a murder and then finding out that he's the fellow who's supposed to be dead. <laughs> it's just a bit bewildering, isn't it? <laughs> you said it. Boy, being a detective sure has its surprises. Nothing like that ever happens to me.
1: Oh, come, 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 come. One would believe
0: to hear you talk that you lead a very uneventful life. Oh, but I do, Doctor, I do. Uh, why, I never get any surprises. Look, I tell our friends that Petri wine is always good wine. And what happens? Well, what does happen? Everybody agrees it's good wine, and that's that. Well, it's just got to be. After all, the Petri family has been making wine for generations. Winemaking is their heritage. A heritage passed on down from father to son, from father to son, from generation to generation. The Petri family knows full well the art of turning luscious, sun-ripened grapes into fragrant, delicious wines. And because the making of Petri wine is a family affair, you can be sure that the name Petri on a bottle of wine really stands for something. It's your assurance that every drop of wine in that bottle is good wine. No matter what type of wine you prefer, you'll never go wrong with a Petri wine because Petri took time to bring you good wine. Well, Dr. Watson, what new Sherlock Holmes adventure are you planning to tell us next week?
1: Well, now let me see. Next week... um... Next week, Mr. Bartell, I'm I'm going to tell you a a weird story of violence and of sudden death that struck without warning. I call it The Strange Adventure of the Uneasy, Easy Chair.
0: Sherlock Holmes adventure was adapted by Dennis Green and Anthony Boucher from Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's story, The Man with the Twisted Lip. Music is by Dean Fossler. Mr. Rathbone appears through the courtesy of Metro Goldwyn Mayer, and Mr. Bruce through the courtesy of Universal Pictures, where they are now starring in the Sherlock Holmes series. The Petri Wine Company of San Francisco, California, Invite you to tune in again next week, same time, same station. Sherlock Holmes comes to you from our Hollywood studios. This is Harry Bartell saying goodnight for the Petrie family.